Mr. Carson Price for Friday, March 1st, 2024, coming in from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. Are you planning a wedding? Wall Center offers 55,000 square feet of striking indoor outdoor space, including the iconic 34th floor meeting and reception space, sweeping views of the city. Email sales at wallcenter.com. Matt Sikers alongside Jeff Patterson sitting in one more day for Black Price Grace Sass hitting switches conducting things. We've got a big show planned for you. It's all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. And shout out to Applewood because they're in the midst of a historic sponsorship right now, Flying Lizard Motorsports and driver Stefan Radzinski competing in the GT4 America Series. Applewood, you see it right there on the livery of Stefan's Nissan Z. The series gets going April 4th in Sonoma, California. So good luck to Stefan and Flying Lizard Motorsport. And good on Applewood for sponsoring. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, J-Pat, we're asking you, is the last two weeks just a blip? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. The Vancouver Canucks, one win, five losses, one overtime defeat over the last fortnight. What says you, J-Pat? Just a blip? Nope. No, there's some real reasons. So you think so? You see something deep-seated here. You you see something lasting here with this. Yeah, I when is Elias Patterson going to raise his game? When's Elias Lindholm going to make some sort of meaningful contribution? When's Quinn Hughes going to up his game? Let's be honest here. The coach called him out for the first time all season. And how about a save now and then? A save percentage since the All-Star break, sub 900. There are some real warning signs here. Now, yeah, they're going to get some injured guys back, but that doesn't guarantee that others are going to be able to stay healthy. So every team goes through that. I did, Where's the spark outside of JT Miller? Where is the spark? And mm-hmm. if you look at the schedule, like they're going to run the gauntlet here in the next five, starting with Anaheim. So I think there's a real possibility that this seven game stretch becomes a 10 or a 12 game stretch. And at that point, you are inviting everybody within striking distance to make hay yeah. and make up ground in the standings. I, I voted no. And, uh, and I'll, do the counterpoint here. Uh, I voted no because look, it's clear they missed Dakota Joshua. And yeah, it's crazy to think that the third line left winger could have this dramatic effect on a team. But how many nights was that third line there to supplement the top six when they were having off nights? Bluger, Garland just haven't been the same minus Dakota Joshua. It's had a cascading effect on the team and it hasn't been good. Uh, Hughes, I do wonder if there's some fatigue setting in there. He's playing nearly 25 minutes a night. They have leaned on him all season long. Patterson in a lull. There's a lot of noise around Elias Patterson right now, as we well know. And look, Elias Lindholm is too good a hockey player not to break out of this eventually. Not to mention... He's having a crappy year in Calgary. No, that's fair. That's fair. But, I mean, I think he's better than what he has shown uh, outside. I I want to believe so. Mm -hmm. I do. So you've got real concerns there. Why? You think they may have bought a, de- a declining player that he's not able to get to? He doesn't maybe look, not his Mona Lisa year. Yeah, but. like he just doesn't look anything like the player that was a Selkie finalist and was part of one of the best lines in hockey there 
uh, for that season with Johnny Goodrow and, and Matthew. Well, Kuchak. I don't think Jeff. I don't think that he's ever going to get back to that level because of the the quality of those two wingers. And it's not think, something he's going to. And play I don't think they need him to be at that level, but they need him to be at a level higher than he has performed here. Sure. And it's just been square peg and round hole, mm-hmm. and that surprises me. I thought a veteran guy would be able to come in and be pretty seamless. He's been traded before. This wasn't the first time that he has been traded. And I thought a guy who had this sort of well-rounded game would find a fit by now. Again, they don't need him to have a fit in late March or late February, early March, but he's got to be better than he's been. And so do I think individually all of those guys that I rattled off are better players? I guess I am surprised that Dakota Joshua took Connor Garland with him. Garland has been silent. And, I mean, people had come to love the motor that was always running in Connor Garland and just not seeing that. And on the times that he does have the motor running and has the puck, you're right. There's just nothing, whether he's playing with Lindholm or Baines or, I mean, the blender was out in full force mm-hmm. last night, and I guess I don't blame Rick Tockett for that. Hey, he got to lotto line at some point in the third period, and wait, they got wait, scored on. Wait. <laughs> I also think Demko's too good a goaltender. He's going to bounce back and have some great starts Sure, but I think up. there's some usage issues there. And we're going to get to that, JPAT. But let's first get to our top story. It's brought to you by Mr. Lube. The Vancouver Canucks not only lose to the LA Kings 5-1 in one of the most dispiriting games of the season, they tumble out of first place in the overall league standings all the way down to fourth position in points, trailing the Florida Panthers, your new league leaders in points at 84, and the Boston Bruins, trailing the New York Rangers as well. Same number of points, but the Rangers with two games in hand. They fall all the way to fifth in points percentage as the Winnipeg Jets also ahead of them. Florida moves past Vancouver in goal differential, plus 53 to plus 47. The Vancouver Canucks have led goal differential every single day of the National Hockey League season after the big blowout win over Edmonton on night one. They are now six back of the Florida Panthers, and they have led the league in regulation wins for most of the year. They are now tied with the Colorado Avalanche at 33 regulation wins apiece. I have been a defender of this group for much of the season for the people that have said, like, show me that signature win. Who have they beaten? And I've said they rolled into Madison Square and puffed their chest out and absolutely slapped the Rangers around in January. Uh, They had a win over Dallas early in the season. Obviously, the wins over Edmonton. No, oh, which they, is the one? Yeah, the two nothing win on home ice. They oh, lost so, it overtime. overtime. The overtime, my bad. But they swept Carolina. They beat Florida both. Like they have beaten some teams, but this was the first of four meetings against the LA Kings, a distinct playoff opponent in round one, and that kind of scares me because they haven't beaten Vegas, they haven't beaten Colorado, they haven't beaten Los Angeles Kings now, and you know the one win in their seven here. They required a power play in overtime yep. to defeat the Boston Bruins the other night. Haven't beaten the Philadelphia Flyers either. Haven't beaten the Flyers. Had some trouble <laughs> gonna with have, St. Louis. You have to wait till next year on that, that one. That is true. Unless you see a cup final there, J-Pat. I don't know. But I just, now I start 20 games to go, Matt. I am starting to view this team through a playoff prism. What I saw last night, and maybe I'm scarred from 2012 when they 
as the one seed of the President's Trophy winners were punted by a very unique eighth seed that went on to win the Stanley Cup. But the following year, home ice advantage against the San Jose Sharks swept from the playoffs in L.A. Vigneault's last act. The last time they played playoff hockey at Rogers Arena, higher seed against the Calgary Flames. Went pretty meekly that year as well. The performance that I've seen here in these last seven games, that's the troubling part for me is can they get their swagger back? Can some of those players elevate again? Is this truly the so, dog days of the season? Uh, let me ask the question through the prism of Hughes, who, as we talked about, is playing nearly 25 minutes a night, looks fatigued. Talk, it's been messaging fatigue for several losses now. Did they spend everything they have getting to this point, Jeff? I think that it's a fair question to ask. I don't have the answer. Like, talk had played the wheels off Quinn Hughes down the stretch last year. Now, the games didn't matter, but his workload was higher. And they're not the only team playing. Like, every team is also playing around them. And some are going to have more games to play down the stretch because the Canucks have played a few more games than some others. But it's not... I mean, it's still strange to me that we're into March and the Oilers have five games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. Like, that is mm -hmm. bizarre. It's a very bizarre schedule this year. But uh, it is, like, they know what they signed up for. And it comes with the territory. And if they think playing up to game 62 is difficult, guess what? 25 or 26 games in May and June? Like, that's really hard. Now, they don't have a baseline for that because so, these guys haven't been there. Yeah. Well, look. Dare to dream, but I have never firmly believed that this team is going to win the Stanley Cup Fair this enough. year. Um, really, I think you could say winning a playoff series would be a success. I mean, if you want to set a low bar, I think you can say making the playoffs is a success, and we know they're going to do that for the first time since the expanded postseason of the bubble, the first time legitimately in nine years. They win a playoff series. I think many will say that's a successful season. If you win two playoff series, unless you're a team of the caliber of Vegas, Colorado, recent cup champion, Tampa, that's a successful season too. So uh, I think you're almost, if you're not there already, playing with house money in terms of it's been a good year for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, for me, the question is going to be, can you build on it? And of course, you know, there's a, a school of thought that this may be your best opportunity with the way the cap is laid out and knowing that Philip Ronick and Elias Pettersson are going to be more expensive, more expensive going forward. That's our top story. It's brought to you by Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, started in Edmonton, a father and son team, the pioneers of the no appointment oil change, warranty approved oil changes at that, now providing tire service sales, no appointment needed there either. 16 locations in the lower mainland for one year you go to Mr. Lube. Dot com. Pedersen continues to struggle. Quinn Hughes continues to struggle. And uh, Rick Tockett has drawn a wider, cast a wider net of struggling players. He's up to six or seven guys. Let's hear from Coach. You know, there's six or seven guys who are just, they're not, their game's not there. Um, for every reason, some guys got heavy legs. And we're going to have to, you know, hopefully this day off will recharge some guys. Okay, do the math with me, Jay Pat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Patterson. Yeah. Hughes. Mm -hmm. Lindholm. Yes. McKayev. <laughs> For sure. Garland. Who? Since Joshua went down, he has one point okay. in his last eight games. That makes five. Mm -hmm. Cole. Uh, his play has dropped off. I think Pia mm -hmm. Suter. 
This Suter okay. has gone quiet in a top six role, playing alongside JT Miller, who's going, mm-hmm. and Suter hasn't been able to sort of draft in his wake there. Um, you know, for the first time, I think all season, we heard the coach after the game calling out both Hughes and Hironic for their play both together and apart. So I think you can put Phil Hironic on that list. Okay. That gets us to six or seven. Oh, I think we're at eight now. Sure. I, I think coach is being... And look... Please hear me when I say I don't have the knives out for him, but five games in, I kind of have seen enough of our steep mains on this run. I wonder if it's time for him just to sit down even for a game. Mm-hmm. Just to come back with Oman and Yeah. I mean, you know, three penalties in five games, no points. Takes a penalty. Like Rick Talkin spent all day Wednesday harping about stop taking penalties in 16 seconds after the opening face-off. Our steep mains is in the mm-hmm. penalty box for for tripping in the offensive zone. So you know, you'd hope for more. It's a great story, but we're five games in and there's been no bottom line for him. There are way bigger issues. I get that, but I just wonder if it is. Yeah, sit him down for a game. I don't think that would be the end of the world. Coach also named names with the captain and with his most often defense par- partner, Phil Ronick. Take a listen. You got to play better. I mean, they know it. I mean, they got the best solutions. They got to play better. Together or well, I don't care who they're playing with. You know, they got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to defend. You know, some maybe we're playing them too much, um, but they got to defend better, I think, for sure, and take what's given. But it's just not them. I mean, we uh, it's a collective, you know. I, like I said, I don't think we gave them much, but like I said, we're, you can't give breakaways. You can't anticipate instead of staying in front of the net. You can't pinch and give a guy three on one. Like, these are just egregious that you can't do. You know, once in a while it's going to happen, but I think they're just too frequent for our club. And we we we, had, we hung our hat most of the year on play without the puck, and we've lost that right now. And we need a lot some guys to to get right by, buy into it. And you know, sometimes you might have to win a game two nothing or two to one. I don't know if we have that mentality right now. I think we're some guys haven't scored in a while. We're pressing, and then when you press, you lose your coverage. You lose your man because you're pressing for goals or assists. And, you know, stats look I, – I hate stats. Stats come when the team plays well. If you chase stats, then, you know, that's what happens. So we've lost it. Mm-hmm. Chasing our own stats. I mean – it started out as an answer about Hughes and Aronic, and then it just kind well, of went it, it, everywhere. It meandered to a larger group, <laughs> yes. and it meandered. We've lost it, but chasing stats. Those play without the puck, not there. I mean, those were things we were seeing under Boudreaux during the long losing streaks last year, Jeff. Yeah, no, I've seen some people Guys cheating that, for their offense. Absolutely. I've seen that suggested that this team right here right now uh, does look a little bit like uh, Bruce Boudreaux's team. Now, the other thing, too, is we saw in the third period, like Rick Tockett went to lotto line with Hughes and Heronic trying to just juice the offense. And Matt, they fished the puck out of their net a bunch of times. Like it blew up in their face. So, you know, for the people that are saying, like, play the best players and play them more and get them to play their way out of this, Tockett tried that in the third period. And that's where he alluded to, you know, bad pinches and guys cheating and missed coverages. That was placed squarely on players like Hughes and Miller and Patterson. And there were uh, lots of examples. Egregious clearly was the word of the night last night, post-game. We heard it a number of times. 
Uh, by the way, is there room for Demco on the list? Please add Demco to the list. Oh, wow. Yeah. We are really building out here, Jeff. Right. This is quite Talk a list we've got I'm going to go back to him and say six or seven. Yeah, Come exactly. on. <laughs> How about 10 or 12, Coach? How do you win when mm -hmm. the list gets that long? I mean, that's ultimately what it boils down to. Uh, no points for Pedersen tonight. He did have points in two straight previously, had assists in the Pittsburgh and Boston games, but went pointless in the two games before that. In fact, he hasn't had a multi-point game until uh, you got to go back to February 15th against Detroit. Since then, he's got three points in seven hockey games. Let's hear from Coach Talkett about the struggles of number 40. You know, he's struggling, you know, in certain parts of his game, but, you know, he'll come out of it. You know, I think that uh, he's too good of a player not to, to come out of it. And he may well come out of it once he puts pen to paper. Um, as we sit here recording this, haven't seen any further anything no. further on the Pedersen contract front. Um, the Canucks and this management group have been known for the Friday afternoon press release, so you do wonder um, whether that is still possible as we sit here and record around midday. Uh, you were pinpointing today as the time to do it if you're actually going to make a big deal about what we anticipate. If it is eight years, will be the biggest contract in Vancouver Canucks history. How much do you think resolution there may may help his game? I hope so. Um, he just looks lost right now. And part of it is the line mates. And I hear you when that group of people out there that says, He's got to make the line mates better. I think it's a massive ask when you're playing with a guy that has now gone 30, 3-0 games. With, think about that. Like, primarily 30 games with Elias Pettersson. And Mikheyev hasn't scored a goal. So we saw midway through the game, Mikheyev was taken off that line, replaced by Sam Lafferty. I'm not sure that Sam Lafferty. Now, earlier in the season, Sam Lafferty stepped into that role and held his own in a, you know, a short burst. And so I get it. Talk it's running out of ideas and his hands were sort of tied. Uh, where is Phil Kessel? Do we have an update there? I mean, again, every passing game here kind of feels like, not that you can look to Phil Kessel as the savior, but I do think mm -hmm. that he is going to be part of the plan here. And it may take up until the trade deadline itself to get all that ironed out. We may not see him until the Canucks come off this road trip. So I'm not expecting that they're going to sign him and plug him into the lineup, but I do have to think that based on the struggles of some of their other wingers, that Phil Kessel is going to get an opportunity here mm -hmm. with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, because he's not on the list right now. Is Bluger on the list? Kessel's been more productive than like six of the guys on that list. He's got as many goals well, as Bluger's, Bluger's gone 25 games without a goal. Like, and I know he's not here to score a bunch, but what was the secret sauce for the Canucks? The best players leveled up, and mm -hmm. on the rare nights when they weren't going, the supporting cast not only held their own, but chipped in with offense. Mm -hmm. And we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the top of the lineup outside of JT Miller and Brock Besser. And look, Besser scoring again, that is a good news story. The power play has scored in three straight, but that's not ultimately helping this team deliver results. But now uh, a little bit of a sag yeah. on the back end. Goaltending has dropped a little bit as well. Yeah. Um Demko, I said we get back yep. to Demko and his workload. Mm -hmm. So 20 games remaining here. How many games do you suspect Casey DeSmith will play? I think in an ideal world to keep Demko in and around the starts that would be, you know, you feel like you've gotten the best out of your number one goaltender, but 
Uh, you're free. He's fresh enough for the playoffs. Can we find six or seven more Casey DeSmith starts? I think in what's left of this calendar, is, Jeff. Uh, talk, it talks about non-negotiables. It has to be six. I any fewer than six for Casey DeSmith. Means... Anaheim Sunday for sure, right? Like that looks has all the hallmarks. Of I it. would think so, especially against the backdrop of what's to follow there: L.A., Vegas, Winnipeg, and Colorado. The following four. Uh, I think they're going to have to find, you know, then they get into that nine game homestand. You've got games against Buffalo, Washington, Montreal. There has to be maybe certainly one, but maybe two for DeSmith there. Uh, they still got another game against Arizona They've, or Anaheim. Arizona's in there. There are some starts. I would but... think the penultimate game of the year, the last home game against Calgary, particularly if Calgary's out of it, you will see him there, right? I don't know. That's not a home game. That's a wards night generally. And okay. but uh, there's Arizona the, the week before. The best interest of the hockey club have to trump awards night and and oh all absolutely. that kind of stuff. So um, but look, five straight starts for Demko. First time all season that he started five in a row. It isn't just the number of starts, it's the workload. He only faced 20 shots. Like he, he it wasn't like he was facing grade A after grade A last night, and even against Boston the other night, 22 shots. So within the framework of those games, he hasn't been, you know, beaten into the ground, but five straight starts, nine of 10, 11 of 13 since the all-star break. It's just, it's too much. And I think his game, like, you know, the third period, those were all really good looks for the Kings. I didn't have such a huge issue there. If there was one stop I wanted, it was probably the Kopitar goal. And it was a nice shot. Mm -hmm. Good player. But in a one nothing game, that's the save. Ian I, Clark had talked about 58 to 62, somewhere mm -hmm. in that range. So and he's we're still there. We're still on target. Yep. So uh, this is not chicken little. Sky's not falling there. But I'll say this if Casey DeSmith gets lit up in his next start, if it Ooh. is Sunday in Anaheim, then you're starting to look at a more serious matter. Okay, moving on. The bombshell from Elliot Friedman on Thursday that the Carolina Hurricanes tabled an offer for Elias Pettersson, that it wasn't just teams were calling the Vancouver Canucks on Elias saying, hey, what are you up to, you know? And the Canucks were playing, well, we're trying to resign him. It was the Carolina Hurricanes putting a package that involved Jesperi Kukkaniemi, Martin HS, and other picks, prospects, considerations, according to David Pinota of the fourth period. It's pretty clear that armed with that, the Vancouver Canucks, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin drew a line in the sand with Elias Pettersson and his representatives and told him, we need proof that you want to be here. And I think they're also intent on eliminating any distraction before the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because I think, and Jeff, we were beating this drum in September, October. It was very naive to think that an unsigned Elias Pettersson would not be a through line, a storyline through the season. The same applies for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we have the further reporting, of course, Frank Saravelli with the scoop. Had him on the show yesterday, Thursday. Darren Dreger reporting that the Canucks and Pettersson's camp are negotiating every level of deal. Five-year, six-year, seven-year eight-year options. He suspects the cap hit will come in slightly above Willie Nylander and says they will present the five, six, seven-year options to Elias and basically say, Elias, take your choice. 
or I suspect maybe they'll try to uh, negotiate a little bit off the term that is most desired by the lease. Your reaction to wow. everything <laughs> that went down late, ye- yeah, uh, late was, yesterday. That was spicy. Uh, look, Jim Rutherford's been at this a while. I'm not surprised that he played this card. Right? Like, we've heard for so long that they've wanted the Pedersen camp to come to the table. Do, do, do you think it was... Uh... Do you think there's a little bit of uh, his old franchise doing him a favor here? Like, do you think there was a real offer? Is there any part of you that believes this was a phantom? No. That was stable? Because Don Waddell is on record as of a couple weeks ago saying, we're not big on rentals here. We are looking for players with term. We all know that Carolina has been looking for more offense for several years now. They've had good playoff runs, just haven't been able to get over the top. I've been missing difference makers, particularly Svechnikov when he was hurt. So, all of that computes. Yes. J-Pat. Yeah. I mean, look, they've had lots of nice players, good players there, but they haven't had that true star. Part of it is they don't generally want to pay. And if they were going to see this through and acquire Elias Patterson, it comes with the price tags, same price tag, same conversation. You just shift it over to, to Raleigh, North Carolina. So you know, on that level, surprised maybe a little bit that it's the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't think that this was Rutherford concocting a story or calling in favors, uh, but I do think that the fact that he had a tangible deal there to go to Pedersen and his camp and just say, like, we need you at the table. We need a decision. And now with the struggles of Elias Pedersen, I think the hockey club probably is thinking, you know, resolution to this matter would be good for the player too. Even if the player has wanted to shelve it, until the end of the season, I'm with you. Like, not only is the story in the market, it kind of feels like it has made its way into the locker room and to Pedersen's game as well. well and so, it's made it to the hockey world at large, yep. Jeff. Now, Where every market was talking about Elias Pedersen. Wednesday seems so productive. It's Friday now, and it's kind of gone quiet again. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, like, I have to imagine that and Patrick Johnson is kind of banging this drum, and I know PJ's going to be with us, about, like, a standard player contract is total dollar value, annual average value, some structure in terms of salary and signing bonuses, but there aren't aren't a ton of moving parts to this. Yeah, I I mean... Like once you get down, you into- know it's a no move or or a yep. full no trade until maybe one of the last couple of years. You know it's going to be heavy signing bonus to get the money up front, sure. right? It, it's probably just a negotiation on how much of the signing bonus up front, and of course, some of that could be tricky because that becomes a liquidity discussion yep. for Francesco and Aquilini, the ownership group. How much? How big a check can you write right off the bat, right? So there's a little bit of that. Uh, And of course, the Canucks have structured those bonus, those payments and bonus payments at different times in the calendar over the years, a little different than some of the other NHL teams. But no, Dragger said more of the slightly above Nylander. Nylander is 11 and a half, Jeff. Honestly, if this comes in 11.6, 11.75 or something like that, I, I... that's something I can live with. Like, Oh, I think under 12 is a win for the Vancouver for sure. Canucks. Just for in, sure. In this you know, climate, like, in this market. In I'm the expecting sour 12 and a half like you for the 100 million. If yeah. it's the eight-year deal. That's if it's the eight-year deal. 
Do you see a shorter term being possible here? That was talked about earlier in the year. I always felt that that might be the way that Elias Pettersson goes. Try to match up to some degree with what's left of Demko's deal, Hughes's deal, and truly give them a competitive window. And I think encouraged by what he and the team have been able to accomplish big picture this year, not the last couple of weeks necessarily. So I won't be shocked, but then Frank's reporting was, you know, all signs were indicating a eight-year deal, a max contract for the Canucks. So I, I guess I, and I'm not doubting Frank's reporting. I certainly was working off of that on Wednesday, but you know, if they have presented Pedersen with a bunch of, that might be the problem here, Matt is now you, now Pedersen's got like multiple choice in front of him and it's going to be, yeah, uh, paralysis by analysis. He can't make up his mind. He's already have one one <laughs> bout of indecision. Will there be another one? Uh, the reason I bring up the boogeyman, I like this tweet from Trent Leith, uh, who's done some work for Canucks Army Stadium Chinatown. Either the Canucks just bluffed and got Pedersen back to the table, or they are doing their due diligence on the trade market. Either way, it's good asset management. Fair enough. And it's a murky and ruthless and uncomfortable part of asset management. But I think this is the value of a Jim Rutherford, a guy who's been around the block as often as he has and has the backbone and the wherewithal to stand up to players and agents for the best interests of the hockey club when they are not aligned. And clearly Elias being unsigned at this stage of the game is not in the best interest of the hockey club. And I agree with you, Jeff. I'm not sure it's in the best interest of the player either. So we'll see where this goes. Be prepared for an emergency pod over the course of the weekend. I know you got your Saturday off, which is rare for J-Pat. The Canucks are practicing before flying. Oh, are they really? Oh, God. Uh, Be prepared for the emergency pod if the Elias Pettersson news drops at any point this weekend. Okay, more trade deadline activity. Let's get into it. Dreger says Edmonton and Vegas in on Toffoli, Butchnevich, and Eberly. And we did get word yesterday, Thursday, that Mark Stone will be out for the remainder of the regular season. Vegas is saying he's questionable for the playoffs. I don't believe that for a single second. <laughs> you know Mark Stone will be in the lineup game one of the opening uh, game one opening night of the Stanley Cup playoffs for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. They have a ton of cap space and LTIR state space available to them now. Jeff, what do you think? How scary would an Edmonton or a Vegas be if they add a Toffoli, Buchnevich, or even an Eberle? Yeah, Toffoli to me is the fascinating one just because uh, people have said, hey, it would fit the Canucks need to find another scorer. Adrian Kempe, the Kings don't score a lot, but Kempe's out and former King there would be seamless. And now you have these other teams. So you kind of get the feeling that there is a Pacific Division bidding war about to begin for Tyler Toffoli. Come on down. Uh, back out west and maybe to a place that uh, you've called home before. Uh, Jordan Everly to the Oilers would be pretty seamless, you'd think. Um, back from whence he came. Exactly. Uh, Buchnevich is having a really nice season. He's a really good player. Yeah. And he's, he's got term, too. He's under contract for next year, uh, unlike Toffoli. Yeah. I, I think that would be a good get for any of those teams. Uh, Vegas is fascinating. They just kind of lie in the weeds, but we know they love to go big game hunting. Um, and so I fully expect that they are going to make something happen here. Uh, 
let a late, uh, well, they were tied, but lost in Boston last night. So no points there for Vegas. And the uh, Canucks didn't do themselves any favors, obviously, by rolling over for the Los Angeles Kings. But, uh, you know, I, I think Vegas is more concerned about uh, getting healthy, getting their ducks in a row. And, you know, would they love to win the division? Sure. Would they like home ice advantage in that opening round? Yes. But I think for them, it's more about the health of the hockey club overall yes. and just kind of hitting the ground running so that they can regain that championship form. But without a doubt, I mean, the Oilers have been a little bit quiet here. I, I fully expect that they are going to be active. Uh, and so for all of it, like, you know, the Canucks have to recognize that they're in an arms race mm-hmm. and they have made their move and it hasn't paid off yet with Lindholm. There's still lots of time for it to pay off, but some of those teams that are starting to breathe down their neck are likely to get markedly better here over the next seven days. And so we'll see what the Canucks do to uh, match in that regard. Uh, but ultimately they just got to figure out uh, back to that list that we created. They need some of those guys to get moving. Well, in the Vegas, right um, of course, got great work at a Barbashev last yeah. year. You wonder if they go back to another Russian with Bush Navis, especially because they got Barbashev and then wanted to resign him and wound up another, getting another blue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his name on a contract. So you wonder if they just, you know, bypass the rental and take the, Russian who's got term, not a ton of assets for Vegas on the farm, um, but they do have all their first round picks over the next few years. In Edmonton's case, you wonder if Philip Broberg is going to be the guy there who has not yet launched in the National Hockey League, a top 10 pick on defense. I know Ken Holland said that he wasn't moving him for a rental or wasn't just going to give him away earlier in the season, but I think, you know, push is coming to shove there, both with the player, both with Ken Holland. And he suspect this will be his last year managing a hockey team before he retires to Vernon and Predator Ridge. And, uh, uh, of course, with McDavid and Dreisaitl as well, whose contracts are coming up in the next couple of seasons. And how about Nashville for all the talk of what will Barry Trotz do and the UC Soros talk not that long ago? That's kind of gone quiet. But Alexander Carrier, there are other pieces there. Seven in a row now. They've won seven in a row. They smoked Minnesota last night, and they are now <laughs> seven clear of Calgary, St. Louis, and Seattle. Speaking of Calgary, Pierre Lebrun reporting that the Flames did have an offer on the table for TANF involving a first-round pick, but they would have had to have taken a roster player back with term. Jeff, was yeah. this Ilya Mikheyev? Is this Ilya Mikheyev? <laughs> Were the Canucks offering their first round pick in 2025 if uh, Calgary were to take Mikheyev off their hands to re- make the salaries work? Reunite them with Kuzmenko. Uh, A third I, trade I, with the Flames this year. I can't say for certain, but I mean, the dots definitely line up. Mm-hmm. The other team it could be is Toronto. Because Kevin Reeks reported that the Maple Leafs were interested in Tanev, much like they were interested in Zadorov. In fact, they tried to acquire both in one fell swoop earlier this season as the Canucks were acquiring Zadorov. You might remember that. And uh, Flames didn't want to trade with their old GM, Brad for Living. According to Weeks, they would have had to have been blown away to accept the hmm. Toronto offer. A couple other things that I wanted to get to here from Chris Faber's story. Uh, in-house now with the Canucks, Patrick Alvin. Uh, I'll read you the quote, and then you extrapolate from there. On Saturday, they, meaning the coaching staff, 
put Miller, Petey, Lindholm, and Blue Grit Center, and I liked that a lot. So then, what are the potential line combinations, and where would be an area of improvement if something was available? I think that's for me to get a feel from the coaches and then asking questions to my management staff here about what kind of players are out there for said positions. Does that sound to you like a GM who's given a stamp of approval of stacking the three centermen and thus going out and adding a winger by the trade deadline? Yeah. Again, Phil Kessel is lying in the weeds, so that may be plan B for the Vancouver Canucks. But yeah, I mean, the way that they're constructing, you can like the look of Pedersen and Lindholm at center. You can't like the way that they are playing right now with the players that they're playing with. And Mikheyev obviously is an anchor. Uh, but P.S. Suter's gone kind of quiet. Uh, again, he's been a nice piece that's moved around the lineup and given them what he can in various places, but he was signed to be a bottom six guy and has spent far more time than I thought he would, you know, in a natural center, playing the wing in the top six. So, um, and again, come back to Arshit Baines, who's had some moments, but, you know, it hasn't proven to be any sort of difference maker and maybe the expectations. So yes, I mean, I think you can look in the top nine right now and say on each of those lines, there is upgrade potential at the wings. So if they like that spine down the middle and that's fine, then sure. I think uh, some scoring help on the wings is absolutely at the top of the list. The other uh, bit of news that was in that column revolves around Jonathan Lekramaki, who, by the way, scores a Michigan goal. (laughs) the lacrosse style goal. He's got goals in four straight games. He's got nine goals in his last eight. Cam Robinson reporting his 19 goals in 41 games, the fourth most in the SHL and the 11th most ever by an under 20 player in league history. Five games remaining in the regular season for Lekramaki. Alvin DeFaber, quote, if he doesn't make the world championship team, the plan is to get him over here to start working with him in Abbotsford as soon as possible, but it does sound like he is going to give be given the opportunity to continue season in Europe. Well, he will and play for the Swedish national team at the world championships, which would be a massive feather in his cap, but earned right. as well. I mean, this guy is going off again and we've seen that in spurts at different levels from him. He gets into these grooves kind of like Brock Besser. The upshot though, is if that takes place, because we're starting to get listeners ask, is Lekromacki an option for the end of the season? Is Lekromacki an option in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I don't think so. Doesn't sound that way. Yeah. Even with this extraordinary run he is on, it sounds like the Vancouver Canucks are more than happy to let him continue to marinate in Europe before bringing him over to Abbotsford at his earliest convenience. Uh, last two uh, final pieces of business here. We talked about Ilya Labushkin, the Anaheim defenseman. On Thursday's program, he winds up going to the Toronto Maple Leafs to spend a couple of picks to get him a third and a sixth. And I'm bringing this up just because it would appear it's still a seller's market here. One week out, Jeff, mm-hmm. we have talked about how you want to be holding on to those rentals. Secondly, we could have a number of teams dropping out here and becoming sellers. I do wonder when we talk this time next week or not exactly because we'd be past deadline, but when we talk on Wednesday, Thursday of next week, whether we'll be looking at something closer to a buyer's market and whether the Vancouver Canucks are playing this beautifully by getting 
out of front of the market with Elias Lindholm first and then making hay right at the 11th hour when prices go down. Right. And I think a lot of people point to Jim Rutherford's track record 2006 in Carolina when he went early and got Doug White, but then they added Mark Recchi at the deadline. And so, you know, they got Zadorov obviously in November. Uh, Lindholm was the big acquisition, but they have left wriggle room to sort of follow that script from 06 where they go back in mm-hmm. at deadline and get a, you know, another piece that they think can absolutely help this hockey club. Last bit of business here. The British Columbia Hockey Hall of Fame has announced its class for 2024. Shea Weber and Kerry Price, pretty good players, huh? <laughs> yes. Both Olympic gold medalists. Uh, Tom Cowell. The referee. Referee. Scott Bradley in the builders category and the 2010 Fort St. John Flyers, congratulations to you all. Have a heck of a time in Penticton this summer with our buddy Jim Houston. Reminder, trade deadline next Friday, March 8th, and the Daily Face-Off Live 2024. Thank you for the musical accompaniment from 8 a.m. Pacific till noon Pacific right at the deadline with our buddies Frank Cervelli, Tyler Yaremchuk. We'll have programming that day as well. We'll tell you a bit, little bit more about it. As next week as next week goes on. Final bit of business here, J Pat. It's time for the menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Fantastic spot to catch the games throughout the season. Quick walk to the Rinker Stadium. Go to spot for food, drinks, fun before or after the games. Big one Saturday at BC Place. Make it a game night at Greta 50 West Cordova or at Gretabar.com. We will talk to Patrick Johnson coming up here about the loss to the Kings, about whether this is a blip or something deeper. The word egregious comes up a lot, Jeff. Uh, we talk about Quinn Hughes, his game right now, how much they missed Dakota Joshua, a team save percentage that has really been in free fall, as well as Patrick's deadline wish list. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, uh, losing an absolute icon of sports business in this city today. Andy Dunn resigning from his post with the Vancouver Canadians toast and a little ode to Andy in hashtags today. Uh, Axel Schuster on the eve of Whitecaps FC, their home and season opener, 4.30 p.m. BC play Saturday against Charlotte. And we'll go to the people and hear what you folks have to say on a number of Vancouver Canucks topics. PJ, coming up next. Patrick Johnson uh, covers the Vancouver Canucks for the province and post media. He attended last night's 5-1 loss to the Los Angeles Kings, and he joins us now. How are you? Well, I, as you said, I attended, and I had to wake mm. up and think about hey. the game last night. So I'm at, least, at least you attended, and 18,000 others, Ooh. because I'm not sure there was much attendance on the home bench last night. You hear I the head coach it. talking about Yeah. They started, they started okay. I mean, the Archie Baines, obviously, penalty was not a great start. But I thought they were playing all right through 10 minutes. And I think I said aloud, I was sitting next to Jeff. I said, you know, this game's going to need a goal, though. And I meant the Canucks. Well, hang on a second. Them- which, uh, which of their three shots in the first period were Well, you- that's, it went, but then it went south. Like, this is it. Like, they scored and it was over. Like, the Kings scored. You just knew. The Kings scored. There was just, there was no coming back. And... You know, the revealing thing to me, I asked, I asked, 
I mean, I asked three different people. Quinn Hughes was asked about sort of speed and body position, or whatever. And he basically said, I don't know what we got to do. I said, do you have to work more with what, do more with less? He said, you know, I mean, Quinn Hughes was a little bit speechless almost after the game. I mean, he, he's been, he's always careful not, he's not a guy that's going to rip his team, but he's, he was, that was one of those moments where he, he I think I asked a question, Daniel Wagner asked a question. He was just kind of without an answer in the moment and asked Pedersen the same kind of thing. And he was basically, yes, but you know, you got to dig a little deeper. And then Rick Tockett just went off about body position, which is that nobody's in position. You're not there before the, you have to be ready before the puck gets there. And they just weren't ready before the puck gets there. And then they're lollygagging to the bench and on and on and on and on. Um, Yeah. No, there was the, the thing about last night's game was, they just didn't have any push when they needed to push. And that's would you, uh, going to be something they need. Would you say it was egregious, Patrick? I mean, I was impressed with how often he said <laughs> egregious, but um, it was funny. If I came away, he was the thing with talk. It was that he wasn't like spitting mad. He was just incredibly frustrated, but also like, he, the, the, the tone of his voice never raised. He was just straight up about, like this wasn't good you know that we needed more we're in a funk like i think that's part of it he's like we're in a funk he's not getting mad but he is frustrated yeah he's disappointed he's not mad he's disappointed Disappointed. and it was clinical frustration didn't name names again but said six or seven guys just seven have it and that's up from four or five on the weekend i think for the first time maybe all season patrick the captain's included in that and didn't escape the criticism from the coach no. last night. No, exactly. The, the guys that you need to push the pace. And that's why I asked the question about Kopitar, like anti Kopitar was put in. A, that's why he's going to the hall of fame, you know, and, and drew Doughty and similar terms, but Ante Kopitar was kind of the top line star scoring a goal on a bad turnover by Patterson that, um, you know, bad things happen. These things happen, but like, that's as bad as it gets. And the fantastic play on the power play were basically Ian Cole, over anticipated thinking the puck was going to get rimmed around. I mean, even Kevin Fiala didn't really know what was happening, but his stick was on the ice. That's why you keep your stick on the ice. Uh, the, 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 the Kings's big game players had big games. The, the team said that was the most complete. The Kings said that that was the most complete game they played all season. And they were fed and Kem Talbot noticed how frustrated he saw the Canucks were getting because they couldn't figure it out. And that goes back again to what Rick Tockett's been pressing on, is that you can't get frustrated. you got to keep playing. Um, and you wonder now, you know, okay, were they, were they, does that mean the Canucks were trying their, what they were trying to do and it really wasn't working? And is that is that going to mean that they're going to lose their way? I mean, I don't think they've done so much so well this season. It's hard to imagine them not rediscovering that. But this is a moment where you need your best players to lead the way. And JT Miller's been doing that. Um you know, Elias Pettersson, I, the noise, like obviously the noise is there. He acknowledges some degree to Sportsnet, um, you know, to a degree with me the other day. Doesn't, you know, as he said last night, he doesn't want to talk about what's going on. Things have obviously changed. Uh, but you can't help but wonder if that's an issue there. Um but yeah, this team needs to fight its way out. The best players need to be the best. Need to be their best yeah. players. It's let me let, let me ask you. Hughes is averaging twenty four minutes and forty six seconds of ice per night. It's actually now a full minute more than Philip Ronick. Yeah. Do you think they've just leaned on him too much? Do you think fatigue is setting in here? They've worn Quinn down over the first three quarters. 
don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, he's missing. There's no doubt he's missing some spark, right? Like, like the, the, the forays into the offensive zone that we saw early in the season, we just haven't seen. So is that a player that's getting checked? Is that a player that's um, not reading as well as he was? It's possible. Yeah. He's playing a lot. I, I did notice how much he played. Um, you know, it was something we talked about in the press box last night. In the end, this is a team that's struggling. Why aren't you putting, you need something going. Your best pairing was Hughes and Hronick and you're trying not to, and it didn't come till the third period. Yeah. The fact that they, what, three wins and 13, three regulation wins and 13, they're chasing a lot. And this is something that the players themselves have all been warning about. I, I wrote a story about JT Miller on Wednesday where, I asked him about his ice time because his average ice time is under 20 minutes a game, which is the lowest it's been since he showed up in Vancouver. And, and he said, yeah, like we're not chasing the game in the end. Of course I'm feeling fresher. Um, but lately they have been chasing the game and, and that is different. And that is a different task than what they've been doing before. Um, so Hughes being worn down. Sure. I think the state of the game is different. That's part of it too, is that, that when you're chasing the game, as we saw last night, you know, breaking on the inside is harder thing to do. Um, to me, more than anything, it's just the fact that they aren't taking charge of the game they were, and they're having to chase the game. And I think we're seeing the results. It's hard to chase in this league to begin with, and um, I think the Canucks would be best to getting back to what I recommended last night, which was scoring first and not letting the other team score. Yeah, although they had a 2-0 lead against Pittsburgh the other night, and that didn't serve them so well either. Sure. And in fact, they had a 2-0 lead in Minnesota and ended up giving up 10 <laughs> that afternoon. So I don't think that's – like, it helps, but that's not the magic bullet, certainly. You know what might be? A few more saves along the way, and, yeah. and they've had the most of the season. Their save percentage is sub-900 across the board since the All-Star break, and that's a significant yeah. sample now. Like, that's basically a month of February. Their save percentage was at 895. And if you look at everything that gets discussed, the staples and so on, is that it's all tied together. The reason why they aren't looking very good is because they aren't playing very well on their own end. And their goalies, you know, they, last night, listen, I, there's no way you pin this loss on Demko, right? Nope. But five goals on 20 shots, I mean, that's not a good look for anybody. Um, and that's, a, there's a systemic, they're not getting, the thing is, is that it's the bearing down aspects. Like there, there's bad reads. That's why Tockett used egregious. He said there were just some egregious moments on the whole played okay, but they had some really bad mistakes that led to problems. I mean, you bring up the Pittsburgh game, look who beat them. Best players, right? Best players here again tonight. Um, that, that is the overall issue is that it's, it, there's that one V one who's, who is winning the best players battle and the Canucks keep coming up second and the results are, yeah, the, the defense has not been playing very well. The, the offense has kind of been okay, but, and it was always going to kind of come back to earth. Like we've talked about this on and on and on. This was the PDO story. I said the offense was going to come back to earth, but there was every reason to think defensively they were going to continue to be solid and they have not been. And that, that is, to me, that's the biggest issue more than anything. Okay. Quinn Hughes, you need more points. Ruben Pedersen, you need more points, but the overall defensive game, um, which probably applies to the goalies as well, just needs to be improved. Um, Dakota Joshua <laughs> is no, but I had a gentleman last night come up to me and say, this shows how much they're missing Dakota Joshua. You wouldn't think the third line left winger could have that big an impact on the team, but you you tell me, like, is well, is this losing streak somewhat coincides with Dakota Joshua's? Um, I mean, leaving the lineup after the Chicago game. 
it's more glaring, I think, what's missing. I don't think he is the reason because the slump had started before he got hurt. Uh, but yes, absolutely. The way he plays is exactly what they need more of. You think about the the forecheck of Connor Garland. Like he's he was winning pucks last night and there were t- pucks getting turned over, but that line as a trio, him and Bluger and Joshua, were so good at sustaining things in the offensive zone. And that overall has not been there. And there is all the knock-on effects that you see in the lineup that, that I mean, maybe less so because the fourth line's kind of become nothing, um, because Ilya Mikheyev is just such a total zero. But Joshua adds so much more that you don't have to use those guys as much. And now you're having to use these guys that are struggling. Pildi Giuseppe has been struggling. Sam Lafferty has been struggling. Uh, you know, that's three wingers right there that you're having to lean more on because Dakota Joshua is not in the lineup. It's a cascade effect there. I think that's absolutely a story. It's not they. Are, it's not that they win because of Joshua, but it's because of all the other things that happen around him, and obviously the penalty kill as well. Like he's been such a key penalty killer, and and the you look. I mean, the PK has not been good for a while, and a lot of it is. If you want to point to one thing directly with him, yeah, I would say because he's not there, because he's not pen, killing penalties. He hopefully is soon. I mean. The, Carson Soucy seems slightly ahead of him. Um, we'll see how close. I mean, the scan, I, he was supposed to have a scan or results of his scan for Soucy the other day, yesterday, I think. Um, we'll see. I think Joshua, you know, it certainly seems like the timeline would be like the end of next week, in a, give or take. So I don't, we'll see if he goes on the road trip, I guess. Well, they will welcome him back whenever, yeah. but, you know, it doesn't get any easier. Like this nope. road trip starts in Anaheim. That's probably a Casey to Smith start. Now there's real pressure on him to deliver. And if it doesn't go well in Anaheim, it's the rematch <laughs> against the Kings. It's Vegas. And then it's home to Winnipeg and Colorado. Like, yeah. The, you know, it's the first game of March. I'm not going down must win Boulevard, but they kind of better win in Anaheim or this kid could very well turn into a full-blown slop meaningful game yeah in march <laughs> it's a tough trip there's just no way about it you look at like i mean obviously anaheim is i mean yes you're right but you look beyond that and you look at the la game you look at the vegas game and the way things looked on tuesday or sorry thursday they're playing in la on tuesday the way things looked on thursday that that was not a good sign for a potential playoff series. Like, I don't think we said at the beginning of the year, do you, nobody wants to play LA in the playoffs and we're seeing why, because that team is no fun to play against. Um, they have, they still have some top end game breakers from years gone by. They have some young game breakers coming into the lineup. Uh, this is a huge test. I mean, talk about, talk about exactly as you said, this is a team in a slump. This could be this would be a great slump busting road trip, but it could also be an absolutely disastrous road trip for where you're sitting. And with the Edmonton Oilers chasing hard after you, you know Vegas. Who knows what's going to happen with them? But you're you want to round back into form. I mean, good thing there's still some there's still some time left until the playoffs, but that time is going to start running short. And by the time we talk wow. to each other, you know we're going to be speaking what 15, 15 games from the playoffs and a day before the deadline. Okay. Um... You tell me then, answer the poll question. The last two weeks, one, five, and one, is that just a blip? Yeah, I think it's just a blip. I do. I, I really do think that. I think I think that there's enough in this team 
that I, I never thought necessarily they were first overall, but I thought, you know, once they started getting things going and we saw how they were playing and, and obviously they were getting bounces, but on the whole, I thought this was a, this was a team that was a solid, going to be a solid playoff team. They were in the mix of the, they were, they, they certainly had become better than um, a playoff bubble team. They were in that mix of, okay, you know what? You get in, you get some bounces, your goalie gets hot. Yeah. You could do something. They're not a contender yet, but they're getting they're getting close. I'm interested to see what they do in the next week. Um, but yeah, I think this is a blip. I think this is a slide. Right. I think I think the, the true team is between where they started the year and this blip that we're seeing right now. On that Pedersen fellow, <laughs> um, how surprised were you with the events of this week? Because Rutherford and Alvin were playing a very high stakes game there. They risked yeah. alienating him as much as they um, as much as they risked uh, getting back to the table or encourage them to get back to the table. So how surprised were you with the events of this week? And where do you think this Pedersen file ends up? I, in hindsight, I shouldn't be surprised, I suppose. Um, this is a management team, certainly a president who has always gotten what he wanted done, done, has not been shy. Um, I mean, look back to last year with his coach. You know, he has not been shy of criticism of of, of the approach. He knows what he 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 looks at what needs to happen and how you get there. Um, I am a if indeed it is a case of basically saying, "Listen, we're trying to shake your tree and say this is what could happen if you do not come to the table and talk about this contract." Um, I'm a bit surprised because you have to believe that they'll actually trade you to Carolina, you know? Um, and, and in the moment, probably not, but postseason, Yeah. That listen, you put this in this position where we have to value, we have to figure out what, what your, your value is. And we have to plan for the future. And this is the kind of thing that could happen postseason. Um, it, it is, it is not exactly, um, it's not a conventional approach. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But in the end, what you're leaning on is a desire from the player to stay here and to be here. And that that is going to overhaul every other thing that could possibly happen in this, in this discussion. And if, if the player doesn't want to be here, well, at least now, you know, that you kind of have to force the call and that, that is what this was in the end. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, Jim Rutherford's not going to get pushed around. He has been ruthless, no. as you say, with Bruce Boudreaux and on other matters. And we got another example of it. Does it end with a Pedersen eight-year deal or an extension less than that? I think most likely less. Um, if you logic it out, I mean, obviously the Canucks would like the eight-year deal because that's just certainty. And then they can deal with him when he's 33 years old or whatever. Um, from the Pedersen standpoint, you know, you get a five-year, you sign a five-year deal now, he, his new deal comes up when he's 30 and there's a much better chance of signing, you know, another five years when you're 30 versus when you're 33. So you're talking about 10 years of good salary versus eight years of good salary. Um, there's an aggregate question here. And I think, yeah, I just think from his position that that's what he's going to do. The Canucks, I mean, I, I, the impression we all have is that, you know, Canucks are basically ready and willing to do whatever Pedersen wants to do. Um, and, and if you're Patrick Alvin, your task right now is to get the player under contract because you're looking at next year. What 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 do GMs inevitably have to focus on? They have to focus on this year and next year and how do they keep their jobs, and that's how they stand. They're not thinking about six, seven, eight years from now. 
And if it means five years from now, that's a you know that's that's Patrick Alvin 2029's problem and not 2024 Patrick Alvin's problem. So where does it go from here though? Uh on Wednesday there was a ton of momentum. It's now Friday and it's kind of gone quiet a little bit. They head out on the road here, trade yeah. deadline a week from now. Yeah. Do we see the formality and an announcement before the trade deadline, or do you think it gets pushed a little beyond that? I mean the announcement part is the least important part, right? Like, and you know, we were talking about this, you game it out a little bit. Sure. You could announce it on the road. I mean, maybe that's what Pedersen would prefer because there's fewer questions that way, uh, at least in, in the moment. Um, I, the contract itself is not hard. It's a standard player contract. You're debating years, you know, average value and how the bonuses are going to be structured. That's, that's it. Um, he's not over 35. It's not an ELC, uh, that that's, those are the moving parts. So it, that part could easily come together very quickly. Um, I mean, heck they could have it tomorrow morning. I don't think they will. I think this is, you know, I, uh, was it you that pointed out? This is the, you know, this will be the biggest contract in team history. Like that's not something you don't have a big event for. Like they had a big thing for Rutherford. They had a reasonably big thing for Alvin. The idea that they wouldn't have a similar thing for Pedersen seems odd. Um, yeah, to, if there had been a day, it would have been today, I think, to do it. Otherwise, I think we're looking, in terms of formal announcement, formal press conference, I think we're talking about, yeah, probably not the deadline. You're probably looking at some time after that. And um, But the contract, I mean, it's entirely possible. I have no, this is just me guessing. I have no idea, but it's entirely possible. The contract gets done long before that, and they just announce it later on. Uh, speaking of deadline, <laughs> um, we, give me one name, trade deadline-wise, that you would like to see the Vancouver Canucks add that you think addresses a need and is a good uh, – within – real you know within reason here patrick i I want you to say elias lindholm but that's (laughs) another conversation i mean i would i would love to see sean walker i don't think that's happening um uh, alex carrier like that's somebody who might be interesting to me um right shot guy can move the puck you know it was interesting to see that the leafs went for labushkin who's a solid defensively but absolute zero moving forward and there's guys that can move the puck and so a guy like that is what i think i think if you're looking at the connection you're trying to find that extra guy you're also thinking about next year um obviously susie's gonna be back but you need to be ready for someone getting hurt and you need a guy who can play beyond just a guy who's a good solid depth character you have a solid depth character noah jolson so um that's kind of what I'm looking at now. I mean, obviously, Tanev would have been a great fit, and I find myself, like I said, I if if, if would other Elias Pettersson have gotten you Tanev? I don't know, but mm-hmm. is that you know other Elias Pettersson is a guy that you're leaning on for a couple of years? That's the other thing to think about is that in a couple of years from now you're looking at a couple of defensemen, young Swedish defensemen you want in the lineup. So how does all that factor in? But yeah, Carrie, Carrie, I'd love Sean Walker, but I don't think that's I don't think that's happening. So Alex Carrie, how about that? Hey, could you imagine? If in the pantheon of Canucks lore, with the Burray trade, with two Luongo trades, even Hodson for Cassian, which came out of left field, could you imagine the day we would have had 
if it was Patterson to Carolina for Kakaniemi, <laughs> Natchez, and a bunch of prospects and picks. <laughs> oh, man. It's, the thing that was fun thinking about that was that you sit there and you think, well, you know that Carolina's always in a lot of talks. They actually, like, there haven't been a lot of big deals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, like, it was that I sat back and thought about it. I was like, oh, man. Like, I mean, I suppose it could still happen, right? I, it happens. Yeah, happens I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, um, well, if it does, we'll be breaking in with emergency programming. I assure yeah. you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Patrick, and you'll have to work that day as well. Um, Patrick, thank you for this. We'll catch up next week. Have a great weekend, buddy. Take care, guys. So here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And earlier this week, I was at Infinity Richmond, the Richmond Auto Mall. Shout out, thank you to Kamal, Jason, Eddie, Samuel for getting me in the new 24, 2024 all-wheel drive QX55, sporty, spacious, absolutely love it. And at Infinity Richmond right now, the 2023 Q50 lease finance from 0%, non-stack cash up to $8,000. The 2022 Q60 lease finance from 0%, non-stack cash up to $12,000. And the 2023 QX50 and the QX55. At least from 1.99% all terms and trims plus $1,500 bonus cash is all good at Applewood. Poll question today is the last two weeks. Just a blip. Yes or no. You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. And speaking of Twitter, hashtags JPAT, the best and worst of Twitter.com. Lead us off, my friend. Yeah, I've got one from at Grey Cup Festival, and there was a big splashy press conference here in downtown Vancouver yesterday. The Grey Cup Festival returns to the West Coast November 11th to 17th of 2024. Of course, of course we're hosting the Grey Cup this year. Yes. So they laid out some of the plans. There's a website, greycupfestival.ca. The highlight, though, has to be not one, Matt, two zip lines coming for the week oh, of Grey man. Cup, including one that is going to go across the water oh, wow. from Canada Place to the convention center. Ooh. This feels like a task for Grady Sass. Absolutely. Sending him out into the field to do some coverage and reporting. I think so. High above the water around Canada Place. Helmet cam, Grady, what do you say? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I already got too much <laughs> shit on my plate, so I'll pass. Sounds like an intern job. Oh, that's not you the know, response. It's that go get him spirit that we love about Grady. Uh, More got- on him in on errors and omissions today, thanks to a fellow Grady. Uh, well, this is sad news at Vancouver Canadians. After 16 seasons and countless successes both on and off the field, Vancouver Canadians president Andy Dunn has announced his departure from the team. All he did was win championships, sell out the net, and send fans home with smiles on their faces. Uh, the finest sports operator I've had the pleasure to be around, the most detailed guy. Of course, he had a background in baseball and business, so the job was absolutely perfect for him. Jeff, he commuted here from six for over 16 years from Orlando, Florida, where he lives. Those are really long flights. There's no direct. You connect. Um 
so I, I, on a personal note, want to wish him the best and hope he gets some rest and relaxation. Of course, the change in ownership last year of the Vancouver Canadians, and he came in as Jake Kerr and Jeff Mooney's guy. I mean, they uh, did not have the background in operating a sports club, and he did. It was a match made in heaven. Um, if you didn't know, he was a minority partner with Jake and Jeff, and so when when the team was sold last year to Diamond Baseball Holdings, um, Andy became just the president and employee of the club. Uh, look, big shoes to fill for Alan Bailey and our friends Walter Cosman and Stephanie Ellis. But they, one thing I can tell you about Andy Dunn is he had an incredible succession plan. The institutional knowledge that he passed down uh, to his chief lieutenants was exceptional. I'm sure it will be onwards and upwards for the Vancouver Canadians who remain a favorite summertime pastime here in the city. Just an absolute tip of the cap to oh, Andy. Uh, an incredible run of on and off field success. Uh, I mean, talk about a guy that left his mark on this sporting community oh. day at the ballpark. Always an incredible experience. As you said, uh, people left with a smile on their face, regardless of the score, the score so often secondary out there. It was the, experience of being at the ballpark the ball yard the way they expanded the net mm -hmm. the fan interactions and the so much of that offerings. almost all of it driven from the top ownership and uh the management of andy dunn so uh yeah just such a, a job well done uh, mm -hmm. the food offerings the promos yeah the mark i mean he once told i spent a lot of time sitting with andy beside him at uh, at the net uh, the sushi races jeff he got to town, he looked around, he went, there's a sushi restaurant on every block. What can we do with this? Let's make up some sushi costumes and have them race around the base pass. And, oh, by the way, Chef Wasabi, he won't win for years on end, and then we'll make it a big deal <laughs> when the chef finally wins. Of course, the Left Field Porch, which has had different sponsors, but became a, uh, a fantastic area of the craft beer alley there down the left field line like on and on it goes he was just the sharpest smartest sports operator that i've ever been around and jeff testaments to andy dunn there was a time in this city when the scalpers were in full force outside <laughs> of the Nats and not outside of bc place or rogers arena they were the toughest ticket in town and knowing a few of them, they would say to me, oh, yeah, I make a good buck at Nat Bailey. Uh, I'm just hoping to break even at BC Place and Rogers. And you might know more than I do, but it's my understanding at least one of the other major players in this town certainly knocked on Andy's door on a couple of occasions trying I, to get I, his expertise for baseball into for other sure. areas. I, I think he shared some of his uh, wisdom with others around the town. Uh, I I asked him several times over the years about taking a step with a different club in this town. He always came back to me and said, you know, Matt, I know baseball. <laughs> you know, he loves football, but he, you know, he knew what he didn't know, put it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the C's were named the John H. Johnson President's Trophy. So like they, they've been named the minor league baseball franchise of the year by baseball America, like all of the accolades. And the other thing, Jeff, let's face it, there easily could have been a world where this franchise was no more when sure. minor league baseball oh. went about contracting. 
I can only imagine there were discussions there. Oh, do we have to cross the border to play the Vancouver Canadians or the lone team, minor league team, affiliated minor league team in Canada? Uh, there was not even a whisper of that really happening because everybody recognized that's one of the best run, best operated, best attended franchises in all of the sport. Where would we be without them? I mean, the partnerships were in place. Matt, he got single A baseball nationally televised in this country. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Well, and the other thing, you know, he would joke with me. Yeah, Nooner's at the net, but first pitch is 1 o'clock. And somehow that's <laughs> it, resonating. It <laughs> worked. <laughs> yeah. uh, Anyways, best of uh, – we're going to have Andy on the show to do a big goodbye at some point here. Uh, I've got one from Jason Sobel, TAN, a longtime golf writer, now working at the Action Network. We talked about Anthony Kim making his return to professional golf. Did you see how it went? Not very good. Professional well, golf. No, really hard. Nobody saw it because there were no galleries whatsoever. That was sort of the observation of a lot of people. Uh, Anthony Kim shoots 76 and his DFL following the first round in his return to professional golf after 12 years away. But expectations shouldn't have been too high. Maybe it'll come back at some point. Maybe not. Either way, was never going to happen immediately. It was ugly. There are some highlights or lowlights posted on social uh, a couple of flat-out shanks uh, among uh, his 76 shots. Yeah, it's uh, not an easy game to begin with, and when you haven't played professionally in that uh, amount of time, it gets even more difficult. At Schultz underscore report, sources to Bleacher Report, the Seahawks have informed Geno Smith he will be on the roster in 2024 under his current contract. I'm told Smith has received commitment from Seattle's front office it sounds like they paid the bonus for geno smith they saw what was out there on the market and what he could have fetched just weren't exactly impressed and decided okay we're going forward with geno it sounds like drew Locke is going to leave as a free agent now because the seahawks have interviewed the university of michigan's jj mccarthy at the combine the national championship winning quarterback who many think will be a first round pick in fact a lot of mock drafts have him going 12th overall to denver so maybe they have to trade up to get him uh john schneider has said earlier in the week that gino is the starter until he's not uh, seahawks also interviewed another combine quarterback it sounds like it's going to be gino and a draft pick and perhaps even a first round draft pick under center for the seahawks this year I want to finish the weekend or the week and head you into the weekend with this one. Just a feel-good story all around. Zach Halverson at Zach Halverson works in radio in Minnesota, the state of hockey. And if you needed another example, this is a visual. Just Google Minnesota high school hockey. So Zach Halverson tweets out, one of the biggest upsets in Minnesota high school hockey history, Chan Hassan defeats number one and undefeated Minnetonka 2-1 to one and will head to the state tournament for the first time in program history, Matt, you have to see the celebration of these kids. Google homework. This is just to punch their ticket. This isn't in the tournament. This is to get to the tournament. <laughs> All the players up on the dasher board, hanging over the glass, celebrating with the student section. Uh, it's just incredible for a win, obviously knocking off the top seed. But, uh, boy, yeah, we always talk about the support of 
high school hockey in places like Minnesota, and you see video like this one. It's just an incredible celebration. Now all that's left is for these kids to show up to the state tournament with mullets, right? Yes, absolutely. That's a big part of it. It's what we always love about March and the video from the Minnesota State High School Championship. And then lastly for me, at Betsy41, Matt Betts, no, not X of the BC Lions covering Canadian baseball. Major League Baseball Network has right-handed pitcher Cade Smith of Abbotsford, B.C. as a dark horse to make the Guardians' opening day roster. Quite a story here. He went to Mennonite Educational Institute, was a 16th-round pick out of high school for the Minnesota Twins. He chose not to sign to attend the University of Hawaii and play baseball there, went undrafted because, of course, The second time he was eligible was the pandemic. They limited the number of rounds in the baseball draft. He signs as an undrafted free agent with the Cleveland Guardians. He has pitched 167 minor league innings with 262 strikeouts. So he throws some gas and he's got a chance to break the Guardians out of camp. And if not, I would suspect you will see him called up at some point this season. Congratulations to Kate Smith of Abbotsford, who has beaten the odds here a couple of times to get on the cusp of the majors. And speaking of Canadian relievers, some really encouraging news down in Arizona for Seattle's Matt Brash, the Canadian reliever who made such great strides last year, product of Kingston, Ontario, had an elbow matter. MRI revealed that he's cleared to resume throwing next week. He will likely start the year on the IL, and that Seattle bullpen may look a little thin now, but the fears of the season-ending elbow surgery, which catch so many pitchers these days, uh, avoided for now. So good luck to Matt Brash, who is really fun. In fact, he's um, Rob Friedman, uh, who does a pitching ninja site, lists two of Matt Brash's pitches as the best in baseball. He was the only pitcher to have two pitches on the list. So best of luck to him and best of luck to Kate Smith. That's hashtags for today. We are joined now by Whitecaps FC CEO, Sporting Director Axel Schuster on the eve of their MLS home and season opener, 4.30 Saturday at BC Place against Charlotte. Axel, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for the time. Good to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Thoughts, feelings, emotions on the eve of a new season? You know, I think it's always this mixture of everything. There's obviously excitement and, and also a lot of joy in me that it, that we finally kick it off also knowing that it looks like everyone is coming back who was there for the last game the 30,000 uh, we are already uh, somewhere between 28 and 29 we normally sell within the last 24 hours we sell more than a thousand tickets so it feels like we 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 also get again the push from our people and then of course there is also a little bit this being concerned and being nervous about the start. Uh, haven't played a competition game yet, so how will the team really look like? We are very confident that it will be good, but also nerves and everything plays a role. So, yes, I remember last year where we played an amazing game and at the end we couldn't get the result, so we want to be better prepared this year. 
You had a terrific season last year that uh, ended in a lot of controversy in the playoffs, and some would have said you deserved better that night and through the playoffs. Are you improved this year, Axel? And if so, where? Yeah, you look, uh, since I arrived in the club, I said we want to develop this team step by step each year. We don't want to go for the one-hit wonder, so we want to do a step every year. And I think we have proven that over the last year. So now this year we want to do another step. I think that the team has improved. Uh, some players have improved over last year already, and we could keep all of them. We have added this time a little bit also of, of veterans' experience, uh, especially in the front row with Fafa Pico and Damir Krylach. Um, so I think that we are better, also better in the depth. And, um, and we are still in the market because we have still the possibility to, to add another, the one or the other player. But with the players that we have and uh, the way we want to play, I think we are already now better than at the beginning of last year. Axel, how exhaustive are the reviews at the end of a season? The, the offseason is so short in MLS, it's remarkable how the season ends. And before you know it, you guys are back on the training pitch and moving all over the world. But just from an organizational standpoint, how exhaustive are the reviews to from what you did last year, the things you liked, some of the things you didn't like as you try to improve? Way much. They, they're way exhaustive. And I have to say, this is uh, probably the hard work for the staff. And I have to also do, to give credit to our staff because you have this short off season. And um, for the players, it's great. They go home, they go in vacation, they enjoy the off time, and they need to stay in shape. Also, credit to our team that came better in shape than, than ever before and all the other years that, that we are together. So they were doing their work, but the staff was sitting in the office for most of the time. <laughs> And we have a huge data department that was presenting us all different stats and actually showed us where they think we we have lacked a little bit, where we where we can improve, where we have been strong, where we have to retain that and keep that. And uh, from then, there the, the the whole strategy strategic process starts. So how to approach that? Um, we have been uh, our offensive output has been amazing, and it's it's one of the pieces our people. On fans loved so much that we always had a spectacle here. Um, and I would say maybe not the conversion into gold. So that's the thing that we want to improve. And for that reason, we have added this veteran players. But at the same time, we we don't want to lose anything of defensive stability, maybe even improve that. And to find the right balance is 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 the, the most important thing for us this year. Um, and the coaching staff and and all our other departments that are supporting the coaching staff have worked on that. Now, you said close to 30,000, maybe over 30,000. That's a tough ticket. Can Vanny get one? Does Vanny need one? We know that he can't be on the sideline. Where's he going to watch the game? Is he going to watch it with you tomorrow? No, that's, that wouldn't be good. I'm too emotional <laughs> during the game. Uh, also, obviously, he, he wants to be close to, to his analytical staff that uh, is uh, in the media box. Um, I, I think we have a, have a good experience here uh, when he has been suspended for one game in the last season and we actually won it. So we have a very good record when he actually has to be more worried about that we win every game. He is not on the bench and that becomes a topic later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will keep it like the last time and uh, I hope with the same outcome. I would just like to draw the irony that Axel says he gets too emotional and couldn't watch it <laughs> beside Vanny. I can only imagine what Vanny will look like watching this game from afar. Hey, tell us about Mike D'Agostino who's going to run the club tomorrow, Axel. 
Oh, it's a great story. He's a he's a, a, a young coach from British Columbia, from from Vancouver. Uh, somebody who has grown in our organization, and and we have always said we we want to develop people in our club, and that doesn't mean only uh, players. We also want to develop uh, staff, coaches, uh, in every area of this club. Also on the on the office side, we we try to promote internally people. If you have uh, even an opening on a, on a job profile, the same what, what we did with many literally, um, Andrew. Uh, Forster, our video analytic, uh, the guy that doing our video analytics, uh, has been, worked for the academy before. Uh, Brent Shaw, who is another assistant, has worked for our second team before. So we do this, um, and it's a great story that tomorrow, the second time, we have a coach from British Columbia, Vancouver, on the sideline um, and guiding our team to a win. You uh, have another change in leadership in that Ryan Gold is now your team captain. He's going to wear the armband. He's been a magnificent addition since he got here. Uh, the Scotsman, Alex Axel. But you tell me, uh, what was it about Gold that made you guys decide he's going to be the captain going forward? I think that was an easy one, and I don't think that we surprised anyone with this. Also, he has won, uh, won, won the captain's armband already last year for many games because uh, Rusty Tybert was all captain hasn't started in in a lot of games last year so on the other side he's also really our leader on the pitch uh, by performance by 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 um um uh, example and uh, we know and everyone has seen that we we all thought that he deserved to come within the top three to be mvp the way he plays the way he works um the way how humbled he is uh, and how much of a leader he is in every single area of of his character and profile um so there is no doubt about him i think uh, if we sign a player or if if a young player comes up uh it's it's easy to tell them look you have to look at ryan if you have if you approach your job the way ryan is doing his job then then you can make it and that's what you want from a captain you said you're still on the market, ideally. Uh, what pieces are you looking for? Where would you like to add? I would say we probably look for a little bit of depth in the one or the other position. We we expect and want to play a lot of games again. We also have to prepare for the copper um, because the copper is coming before the next window opens. And uh, we all, knock on wood, we all cross the fingers that Canada qualifies for the copper and then we have to deal with a situation where Ali Ahmed and, and um, Sam and also Kubas and maybe Pedro Vite will not be here and that are key figure starters in our uh, system. And I think to have a little bit more of depth and, and maybe young players that we can prepare in the, in the next months um, to to be ready then to, to jump in for the time of the Copa is is important if you want to compete for a top four uh, position in the in the western conference you mentioned the two uh, new additions and very uh, mls experience here in crylock and pico and they may very well be on the ball in the uh, in the opponent's box tell us a little bit about both players here what kind of players are crylock and pico axel yeah, very different profiles and also very different to what we have already. Um, we had um, the third best forward pair in the uh, in MLS last year with uh, Ryan Gold and Brian White. And Brian was uh, um, the fifth best striker and the only non-DP and purely cap striker uh, within the top 20, I think, even uh, at least in the top 10. Um, so big credit to them. 
now it was the question what could we add to those um because we cannot uh burn them in in 45 plus games and so for the reason we needed profiles that can give us something but also who are not getting i would say uh worried or concerned or are mad if they don't start every game. So finding somebody who is in the career at the point where a player is also okay with not starting from time to time. So Damia is is technically a very strong player. He was uh, um, in in the top three for being MVP three years ago. He's very good in in, uh, in very tight spaces, but he's also very very strong in the air, um, offensively and defensively. Um, we have seen he has been. He has not only scored our game against Tigers, uh, our goal against Tigers. He also had very good chances because he, we get him in very good positions um, in our attack. And Fafa Biko is the exact opposite. He is the guy who can take guys in one-on-one situations, who has a lot of speed, who can dribble guys, who can can attack the space behind lines, and he can open up space for everyone else. So two completely different profiles. Um, who are doing this for for many years and who have shown that um, they don't need any time of adaptation and and just do it the moment they are on the pitch. Obviously, organizationally, you want to win trophies. You want to win the MLS championship, the MLS Cup. But I don't expect you to sit here today on our show. It'd be great if you would, but you know, to declare that it, it's going to happen. But how do you look at a successful season? Is it making the playoffs and taking your chances from there? Is it about building so that you're in peak form in October when you hit the playoffs? Like, How do you set goals for the Whitecaps this year? I think we have, have done very well over many years now with only focusing on the next game. So um, I think a lot of our players don't know who do we play in eight days. Um, that's that's a, a reality. And I did, I, sometimes I do even the check. And yeah. <laughs> it's really true. Um, you you're not winning championships, or you're not winning something, or you're not getting to your aims, targets, goals, whatever you want to call it, with with just calling it out and and then working towards that, with not respecting that the next game is the only game that you can win, that you can prepare for, and that can give you the points. So if you ask me the greater picture as the CEO and sporting director, I would say at the minimum at the minimum to to finish exactly where we have landed at the last year in the regular season and then being better prepared in the playoffs and 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 maybe getting it over the line where we have been very close last year already um if um if you ask me how we approach it i can tell you we all knew for a long time that tomorrow will be a big game uh, that a lot of people show up, that uh, we get the push again from the people and that we want to be best prepared and we want to win the game tomorrow to to kick it off in the right way, to have three points um, and then go from there, uh, next game and um, getting point for point that is necessary to to get in a top four position in the, in the Western Conference. Well, let me ask it this way. Yeah, uh, the quarterfinals have been a couple of times achieved by the club. I would suspect you feel that's achievable at least in the playoffs, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, we, 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 but today to speak about the quarterfinals is is. is I hear you. I know we're a long way from there, Axel. It's a long, long way. way <laughs> but I will say this: we're a short way, a short distance from Saturday's home and season opener, four thirty at BC Place, 
against Charlotte. We wish you, wish you the best of luck this year, Axel. We'll have you back soon. Thank you for the time here today. Thank you for having me again, and see you tomorrow in the stadium, I hope. Mm-hmm. Big crowd. Secure some price from Wall Center and a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Join us March 13th, 6 to 7 p.m. at Park Casino and Park, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. We'll be live on a location doing a show inside BC Kitchen before Vancouver takes on Colorado. It's a 7.30 puck drop that night. Come grab a bite, watch us do the show, participate, and you receive 15% off the game day menu with your game day ticket at bc kitchen you can also enjoy six hour six dollar happy hour drinks at center bar parks it's just steps steps away from rogers arena and you can sign up for the encore rewards get ten dollars free play to use in the canucks gaming corner let's get to to the people we go Oh, to the people. To the people. Let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? I have to go to the people. I miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go, brought to you by Great Clips. Jeff, will start with poll question results from Thursday. Should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Chris Tanev? What did the people say? I'm going to say the people said no. They said no. Percentage? 58? 66. In yeah. fact, two-thirds, 66.6. Brent says, should they have? No. Would I have wanted them to? Yes. That's good honesty, Brent. Beloved former Canuck. Rugby Jeff says, Canucks need to build their forward depth, not their D depth. Would you concur? These days, I think they can use a bunch of help (laughs) at a bunch of positions. So, uh, well, one week to go. I guess we'll find out what Mm -hmm. they prioritize here ahead of the deadline. Houdini says, nah, he'll sign here for free later, which is entirely possible. Hockey rules, we should... we should have traded for Tanif instead of Lindholm with what we gave up, but that ship has sailed. Well, they tried, didn't they? I mean, the reports are <laughs> that they looked at bigger deals and just couldn't make it all happen. Yep. Michael says, who's to say they could? Maybe Calgary wasn't going to deal him in division as they are still sort of in the playoff race. Yeah, a lot of those comments, that may not have been the price for the Canucks. Their price may have been higher. And to not consummate. just in division with former Flames GM Brad Tree living now in Calgary. Maybe some suggestion there that they... Well, yeah, the the suggestion was that Calgary didn't want to trade with uh, Tree Living and, and uh, the Leafs as well. All right, moving on. Aaron in Deep Cove says, hot take or question for the show. Rick Tockett is watching the Jack Adams slowly slip through his fingers. Yeah, I, I, I think you can make the case there. I think it goes deeper than Tockett, quite frankly. Like Thatcher Demko now, I think, has taken a backseat to Connor Hellebuck mm-hmm. for the Vesna. I still think Quinn Hughes is the favorite for the Norris, yeah. but there's enough runway here that if his play continues, as it has since the All-Star break, he's going to invite some others in. I mean, that's just the way this works, and certainly for Tockett, like Paul Maurice says, the Florida Panthers at the top of the standings. I know they went to the Stanley Cup final last they year. They did. That's... They started the year without Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad, mm-hmm. and he has found a way to keep his team there. Peter Laviolette's done a nice job with the New York Rangers. Sure I, I mean, every year there's going to be a bunch of candidates. Talking is a candidate. But I tend to agree with Aaron that things may be slipping away here just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots on Pedersen. Let's get to it. Didn't get a name here, but tell me I'm wrong. If Petey, could have st- if Petey could stay on his feet in the corner, he would have seen his actions were painting himself into it. Ooh. That's Leaf. That's Leaf. 
Uh, Omar, tell me I'm wrong. The vitriol surrounding EP40 is because he appears to be putting himself before the team. His indecision hamstrings the Canucks' ability to make decisions by the trade deadline for the playoffs and for next season. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit, that uh, the business of hockey has to go on. Yep. It's just that he is the biggest, and it is a big fish for the Vancouver Canucks to fry here. Tripping out says, is Miller the 1C at $8 million per year? Does paying PD12 or 13 to be a 2C make any sense? This smells like the Leafs 2.0. Also, how naive is it to think not signing wouldn't be a distraction? He is receiving bad advice. I would quibble a little bit here. I think he's charting his own course against the advice of his agents. Everything Pat Brisson and JP Barry have said over the years suggests that they do would like to be at the bargaining table on this. But what, what says you on 12 or 13 million for a guy who uh, may be their second best center? Well, I kind of bring it back to the discussion we had earlier in the week that I'm not thrilled with uh, what they gave up to get a third-line center from Calgary for Elias Lindholm and the way he is playing. But, yeah, I mean, the way that JT Miller is playing right now, he is the heart. He's the guy's been in on eight of the last ten goals the Canucks have scored. He's the yeah. only guy. He's brought Brock Besser along for the ride here in the last couple of games, but he is the man right now on this Vancouver Canucks team, regardless of the price point for Pedersen. Daniel asks, do you think Pedersen's recent play has brought him back to the table? I know this isn't what they meant, but imagine if Pedersen said to himself, oh, crap, I'm playing like poop. I better negotiate this before I tank my value. <laughs> the thing is, Daniel, the value can only tank so much, right? He's had a 100-point season. He's going to be uh, a top 10 or top 15 league scorer again this year. So we're, we're not necessarily – and the other thing he's got going for him, course there's 31 teams interested right so he's got a lot of leverage with very little uh um with a very high floor goran says great to hear john shannon a very mature and well thought out person amongst the crazy when the others are just trying to run the whipping boy out of the city and driving angst amongst the fans uh and gordon with a screed here, the new standard for interviewing guests about Pedersen. Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Have you ever attended a meeting or known a member of the Communist Party? This really is an off-season, next-season story, guys. The backlash against the Vancouver sports media on this story is because this is the first season for many years that hasn't been a dumpster fire, and we're coming off a big emotional win at home. We don't need only positive stories, but we also didn't need to fo didn't need the focus to be on this right now when Pedersen isn't going anywhere soon. I guess you don't believe that the Canucks would have been willing to accept this Carolina offer. Right. Sounds I mean, that way. So, yes, they beat Boston. It was a good win. It was their only win in the last seven. But that was also the night that Elliot Friedman reported that teams were calling on the Vancouver Canucks. Later in the week, Elliot reports that not only were teams calling, that there was a trade Tabled proposal. offer. Yeah. Some people are just incapable of discussing multiple different talking points about the team and only want to focus on the team itself. And hey, that's fine. But guess what? We cover all aspects of the team, no matter if you hate it, if you like it, or if you have no thoughts. If you don't like it, go listen to Grady's House been a little Media shook. coverage. Grady's been a little shook this week. I think a lot of the fans have oh, as well. Just they, fed they, up the with the donkeys. But the, I've been telling you for years. A lot of this Water is born out of ducks, a lot of it's born out of fear. I think yes, that this star player doesn't yes. want to be here. Correct. 
Uh, Correct. You know, the news midweek Correct. was positive that and there were so, developments that maybe he does want to be here. But I, right. I think for me, so much of it is just born out of this star player right. may not like us right. here in Vancouver, and that's why I've seen. That's why I think you've seen two courses of commentary from the fan base. One has been to blame Pedersen. Another can't get to that spot where they're criticizing or blaming a hero. And so the media works as an easy scapegoat. Let's blame the messenger. It's happened for years, happens with every fan base, will happen for time immemorial. On this side of the microphone, you just have to move on. Water off a duck's back. JC, hot take, Besser, Garland, McKayev. All be traded between now and the draft to make room for Gensel, Lindholm, Pedersen, and Hronik contract extensions. What do you think? That kind of overhaul? No chance. No chance? I don't think all three of them, but those are three significant contracts still. Mm -hmm. And the idea of trading Besser at a high when you Mm -hmm. think of where he was a year ago when he was unmovable, or at least the contract was, I don't think that's entirely... Out of the equation. Okay, now do Gar- Garland and McKayev. Yeah, I mean, look, Garland is overpaid in terms of goal-scoring production, but he has found a role, has settled into it, has become a fan favorite again, but mm-hmm. there's still some term left there that would clear yep. out cap space. McKayev, free could, after next year. If they could move McKayev, of course they would. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine uh, the cost that you'd have to, the, the sweetener it would take at this stage, 30 games, by right. the way, now. If they do uh, go after Gensel the, and want to resign him, somebody has to go with sure. Pedersen, Horonic mm-hmm. contracts coming. Yep. Um, free agency for Besser after next season and the year after from KF and Garland. Uh, I can't get all the way there, JC. I'll go hot on the take. Jeff? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Okay. Hot, hot, hot. Cody, it's far too early to make judgment on Elias Lindholm, but there's no world in which he's a sensible backup plan for Elias at $8 million plus per year. This is a massive step backwards, and he creates no urgency from the team as he'll be just as available July 1st. I still think Petey will resign, but if he doesn't, then either a star closer to his age or a hall of high picks and prospects would be the only sensible return. Look, we have given this front office and pro-scouting its flowers all season for the additions. Right now, it feels like they missed a little bit here on Lindholm. Now, they didn't get him for games in late February. I mean, they would like to have, have had him be a little more uh, engaged and, and productive. But ultimately, the payoff comes in his playoff performance. Mm-hmm. But in the short term right now, he was having a bad year in Calgary. And I think there's been a fair bit of carryover. He just has not been a fit on this hockey club. Marty says, come on, guys, Lindholm, give him some time to adjust and gel with someone. One of the reasons Rutherford pulled the trigger early on him, you watch, he will produce. Yep, he's got the entire month of March and plus a good number of regular season games in April as well. If you're not familiar, everybody, the uh, playoffs, Yeah, and I know it's been a while, (laughs) but the playoffs get going a little later this year than what you may be accustomed to. There is three weeks of April regular season play. First playoff games are coming on April 22nd. So we would suspect if the Canucks hold home ice advantage, 22nd or the 23rd will be the days that the Canucks resume the Stanley Cup playoffs at Rogers Arena for the first time in nine years. And that's so, where you want him to really show right. what his worth is. So, But, but at the same time, like, 
let's let's start going here. He's had enough of a bit of a sample. Jeff, where how much longer are you willing? Like, where are you? Good where's question. your level of concern at before you're Good like question. really start to wonder? Yeah, I mean, turn the page from February. Let's go. First game of March is yeah. Sunday in Anaheim. I just need to see some signs. Like, obviously, he scored two in his debut. That was great. He has two since then, and like, there's been some two-way utility. There's been some penalty killing, but they brought this guy in to augment an already really good team and he just hasn't found a fit there hasn't been chemistry and this team has sagged and that's not all on him but he was supposed to prop up a team that was what you want me to say do something i'm, I'm okay. just looking at you because i thought we were building right. towards a do something fair there. enough i like to reserve my do somethings for guys that i have high high hopes oh wow he is again he is I not think, even worthy of well, do something no from i mean the payoff is the playoffs for him so i think i'll reserve it until sometime yeah. in april but I will so, say though, like the next four games after the Ducks, like yeah. if he's not doing anything there, then mm-hmm. I think we start to get. I think that's I, I think that's uh, reasonable, Grady. So we just talked about how sometimes media takes the bullets when there's reports that fans can't deal with emotionally. Well, like Elias Pettersson may be moving on. Here it is. In here's the reverse of it, Don. The lesson here: never ever doubt the prognostication skill sets of one. Mr. Frank, the chairman, Saravelli, <laughs> right on the Canucks being a playoff cal- caliber team and correct on the re-signing of Elias Petter- Pettersson. Until I find someone better, Frank is the man. Enough said. There you go. Frank's taking like the bouquets Frank. of yes. a report that works in the emotional favor of this Canucks fan. Don says, thanks for the updates. I really hope we get... Brandon Duhane, he'd be the perfect addition of the fourth line. Plus, he's a Taka type player besides Joshua and Miller. We don't really have too much size and pushback up front. So, Duhane would be gold. He brings it every night. He's energetic, doesn't shy away from the rough stuff. They got their lunch fed to them by Nashville. Yes, did they ever. And then that a picture today it. of Bill Guerin on the phone, on the bench during a Minnesota Wild oh, practice. Wow. Dale says Lindholm needs better wingers to play with. Garland and Baines aren't going to cut it. And lastly, uh, Levin says this team needs this team needs to resign Joshua to an extension. Having him back in the lineup with a healthy Susie will make a huge difference to the team. Joshua and Garland have been great chemistry. No more stupid injuries due to fighting. Let the expendable players do the fighting. Make sure we have a healthy team going into the playoffs, and we'll go deep. That's to the people we go, and it's brought to you by our friends at Great Clips. With more than 4,400 hair salons throughout the United States and Canada, Great Clips, the world's largest hair salon brand and official hair salon of the National Hockey League. Your salons here in Vancouver, locally owned and operated, open seven days a week. For more, informa- for more information, check out greatclips.com. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Let's get to errors and omissions from Thursday's show and beyond. And shout out to listener Karis, who pointed out to me yesterday, I said, let's get to errors and omissions from Thursday's show. Well, it was Thursday. (laughs) I meant Wednesday. So thank you to Karis on that. Uh, Another error and omission here sent my way. And uh, I think we're both culpable here, J-Pat. Okay. 
Uh, Jeff mentioned the Whitecaps jersey swap promotion was for the Bloodlines jersey. So it is last year's white one, not this year's dark one with the gold. Ah, okay. I I chimed on that one too, so I think I led you down an errant path. Hassan has one for you, Matt. He said, Ian O, when discussing matching the TANF trade offer, Matt said that the Canucks had better prospects to offer Dallas when he meant Calgary. Fair enough. Boy, Hassan's been all over me yeah. this week. It's him, Saw it's him at the Greta event last week, so yeah. it was great to see us on his brother. He keeps us on our toes. Uh, and now let's get to the Grady on Grady. Oh, oh Grady on Grady crime. Oh, boy. I had my phone down last night, and I look at it, and I'm seeing all these notifications. What is this about? Mm-hmm. My goodness, an onslaught. So, well, it started out you had, fairly civilly and friendly, I thought. And then it took a bit of a dark turn. Well, I don't know about dark, J-Pat, but... Saw an open lane there. <laughs> Figured I'd shoot my Chance shot. To dunk. Shout out to Grady Harris on Twitter, who pointed out that in one of Grady's sasses clips yesterday, there was a typo there, looked and locked. Right, Grady? One letter. Right. I said that the Canucks or the Pedersen was locked on that one hundred yes. million dollar figure. Right. And it came out as looked. It came out as looked. Sorry for that, Jeff. It yeah. made you look bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and was yeah. there more from Grady? No. Yes. Grady? Yeah, there yeah. Oh, yes, there was. So then, oh. Once he was, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess the door was open, and then he, he came off the top rope with, "Oh, while well, I'm critical of Grady, mm-hmm. by the way, the intro music runs too long." Yes, does it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, <It> faded out. <laughs> Scratch the post. You were scolded. Most Gradys in the wild have impeccable spelling. We all need to help this particular Grady. The airing of the grievances here. Mm-hmm. He did uh, give you an out on punctuality, though. I, I asked if wild Grady's are punctual, and, and this Grady said, "No, <laughs> he doesn't they're, know they're a little the more free workings. spirit." That's Harrison omissions for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder: subscribe to our show, Rinkwide Vancouver with J Pat Canucks conversation with David Quadrelli Harmon Dial. Of course, follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. We're live on YouTube. Every day, 1130, and support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.